Now, as you're turning or getting to Ephesians chapter 5, I want us to think about those little kids that just left, because they're going to be an object lesson for me and for you. They are watching you. Each one of them watch their mommy and daddy, and sad to say, their pops or their Grammy. They imitate their parents. They imitate them. Little girls often put on their mommy's purse or whatever their mommy's gloves that go out into the garden and they're going to go out with mommy or they're going to put their purse on and they're going to go shopping just like mommy does when she buys things for the family. And of course, Of course, the child, when they go in the car, when they are going with mommy to the store, they're watching mommy drive, and they're doing like this as they're they're driving, and they might actually even say words that mommy might say if somebody cuts them off. Now, guys, I'm not letting you off the hook either. Yikes. Little boys often put on their dad's shoes, whether they be work boots or dress shoes, and walk out the door. As their dads walk out the door, they're watching. They're watching you. They're watching how you do things, how you're speaking, how you're, how, when you come home, how you address your wife, how you're talking with your family, and they're watching you. They're watching you. What are they doing? You're being imitated. You're being imitated. And that can be encouraging. For some of us, it can be embarrassing or terrifying. Kids learn by watching, then imitating what they watch. If you have believed the gospel, you are now a child of God gave you the right to become sons of God who believe on His name. And because of this transformation, because of this change, because you are a spiritual son or daughter, hear me, you ought to imitate your father. You ought to imitate your father. Out of respect to the Word of God, I would ask that you stand, please, as I read today's passage. If you need a Bible, if you didn't bring one with you, we would certainly like you to follow along. It's found on page 978 of the Blue Bibles that would probably be in front of you in the pew. This is the Word of the Lord. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon 
the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. May God be blessed by the reading of his word. Please be seated. I went to the past, into the deep, dark, dark past that I haven't done in about a year, and we have a big idea this morning. The big idea this morning is this. Because if we are children of God, we are called to live a different lifestyle that is manifested in two different ways ways, a different lifestyle. The bottom line, imitate your father and imitate his son. Well, how so? Well, first, we must walk in love. Now, look in your Bibles and look at the previous two verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Excuse me, it's Ephesians chapter Five, but we were in Ephesians 5. The charge, the command, the previous two verses, it ties it together in 4.31 and 32. Paul warned against holding on to bitterness and anger. Remember that. Do not hold on to bitterness and anger, but forgive. We've seen these, bitterness and anger, we've seen these in families. And sad to say, not just families from the world, but families in the believing community. Christian families were folks, they won't let something go. What is something said? Many times, even years ago, they won't let it go. And they hold on to it. Wrongs are hard. Wrongs hurt. But we're called to a higher standard. We are to walk in love, and it begins with forgiveness. Peter wrote this in his first epistle. He said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Are you holding on? Are you holding on? forgive. Well, why should a Christian walk in love? If you're his child, if you have been born again through faith in Jesus, you have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You have escaped this. We shouldn't be wallowing in the mud. As I spoke of earlier, since we love our Father, we want to imitate Him. And the word imitate, it's translated from the Greek word mimetes, 
mimetes. It's where we get the word mimic. Daddies, your kids are watching you. Mommies, your kids are watching you. But we need to be watching our God. We need to mimic Jesus. Now think with me. Since God is love, we agree to that, right? God is love. It only makes sense that we should walk in a lifestyle of love so that we can please Him. We must love. Again, who do, we, who do we mimic? Who's our example? It's Christ, Jesus. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Church, I know that we understand, and we often say this, and we talk about it, and we, we even say it, that we, we sacrificially care for one another, we're, and we're desperate to reach the lost. We are to proclaim the good news about Christ. We are to proclaim that. And hear me, hear me what I'm saying. We need to proclaim that, the gospel of Christ, to others and to ourselves, over and over and over again. We need to hear the gospel every day, every hour of the day. Because it's our life. Let these words soothe your spirit. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Christ said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends. But he laid down his life for those who hated him for while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life we were enemies but he died for you we love him because he first loved us we walk in love we should walk like our Savior. Well, Jesus' sacrifice is compared to a fragrant offering. Now, we're, we're going, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? I'm glad you asked that. Paul takes us back to what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. In the book where everybody says that they're going to read through and you get through Genesis and Exodus, and by the time you get to Leviticus, you go, I don't want to read this anymore. This is too hard. The first section of Leviticus, five different offerings are instituted. This is important because it pictures Jesus. It pictures what he did. Scholars explain to us the reason for them. And I quote, the first three, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering, they were pleasant. They were a pleasant aroma. The burnt offering pictures Christ's complete devotion to God, the grain offering, his perfection of character, and the peace offering, his making peace between sinners and God. Now, there are two more. Since the sin offering and the trespass offering pictured Christ taking the place of a sinner, 
They're not considered a sweet savor. They're not sweet smelling because there's nothing beautiful about sin. But Christ sacrificed himself that we could live. Christ accomplished all of these things. God is love. Sacrificial, forgiving, reconciling love that makes a way that we can have sweet fellowship with God and others. And this is God's love, and we are called to imitate our Lord. So that neighbor that's behind you, that cusses you out because you have a bougainvillea plant that grew over into her, into her house, Love. Love. Now make no mistake. Make no mistake at all. The world offers a counterfeit love. And it is in your face and impossible to miss. Ephesus had in its city dwellings the temple of Diana, the temple of the, of the Artemis of the Ephesians, Artemis, Diana, however you would want to say it, whether it was Roman or Greek, it made a difference. It was a religion that worshipped sex. That's how you worshipped this goddess. You would come into the temple grounds and you would have sex with a temple prostitute, whether it be male female. Sex was front and center. And this was the world that the Ephesians lived in. This is the world that the Ephesians were called out of. But I suppose that things haven't changed too much, have they? Does anybody have a TV? It's everywhere. If you have a computer, it's only a mouse click away. If you have a phone, all you have to do is press it a couple times and you can get somewhere where you really shouldn't be. If you're even driving down Rosedale Highway and if you look up here, you can see explicit pictures that draw a man's eyes to them and I know that it shouldn't be there, so I have to keep my eye down. Looking for love in all the wrong places. And what our world says is love is often self-serving and self-gratifying. It's all about satisfying your said needs, physical and emotional. Don't, don't despise to take that emotional thought out of it either. But because we have been transformed, because we have been made new, we aren't to live this way anymore. Well, what is the counterfeit? It's on the screen. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. The word 
used to tra translate sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. Now, I know this doesn't take a Greek exegete to understand this. This is where we get the word pornography from. And this is what it lists. It is a broad, broad list. This is the short list. This is what it encompasses. Premarital sex, adultery, sex with prostitutes, homosexual liaisons, incestual relationships, bestiality, and I could add anything else. Anything else. Impurity. Impurity in this verse, it means ritual impurity, but it goes much deeper than that. It speaks of the impurity of the heart. It's what's in here. What bubbles out. Covetousness means it's, it's uncontrolled appetite. It's not only for food. It's not just for that, but for everything that was named above. And if you know the human condition, we have to have more, 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 and more. And we want it now, and we want it all. And many get sucked into the lifestyle, and it takes more and more to satisfy the longing. And don't let a hint of these sins be named among you. Kill them. picture of an axe. Cut it off. Get rid of it. These things are not for us. Paul now moves to what comes from your mouth. Oh, sure, not even from my eyes or what I'm thinking. And here, now he comes from my mouth, really? Because it flows out of the heart. Let there not be filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Filthiness and foolish talk are things that are sinful and abusive to people. It's degrading, disgraceful, also obscenity. Crude joking means just what it says. It also speaks of a person who turns every word or conversation into a double entendre. We know we... You have these people in your offices. You have these people where you venture out to. Does it mean you don't hang out with them? No, it does not. Because we're there to shine your light upon them. We'll get to that later. The bottom line is they have a gutter mind. If a person is witty, really, if a person is witty, that's a blessing. It is a blessing. And when a person has the ability to make someone laugh, that's good medicine. It says that in the Scriptures. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. The opposites. You see, the opposites. You might ask, well, well Paul, why these warnings? Why, why are these warnings here? Why are you giving us this? Why should we stay away from all these false forms of love, and why not be a part of or approve of obscene and foul language? 
Why shouldn't we be a part of it? Because this type of constant, continuous behavior disqualifies one from participation in the kingdom of God in Christ. Please read that and listen to me as I say it. For you may be sure of this. That means, well, no, you, you kind of think, you may be sure of this. This is a positive statement I am going to make. This is true, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, covetous that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This does not mean if someone falls into a sin and quickly gets out of it. If someone falls into this sin and is repentant and goes away from it, God forgives. This is talking about a lifestyle that is continuous. One where you live in it, wallow in it, and love it. Elsewhere in the Scriptures... Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the apostle of love says this. He says it in a nice, nice, so much nicer way than Paul did. Listen to what John said. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning for the, from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. But there are many who say, All you need to do is say, I believe, and you're good. You say the words, and you'll have your ticket punched. You don't have to worry about how you live. You can live the way you want to. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. I read earlier this week, there are many professors who are not possessors. A, children, a, a Christian is not sinless, but he does sin less and less and less. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't 
participate in the false love of the world, but walk in love, the love of God. The second way that we are called to live a different lifestyle is walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. Now, I suppose that this next verse is, it's the key to the passage. In chapter 2, Paul explained that we all were, every one of us, were dead in our trespasses. And we're dead in our sin. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. Now, again, remember, you weren't just kind of dead. You weren't just kind of halfway dead. It means you're dead. You are not living. You are not breathing. Your brain is not functioning. You are done. And we were all this way. But we were made alive. And he writes the truth in a different way. Verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, look carefully at this sentence. Don't look at me. Look at the sentence because I want you to see that I am not pulling the wool over your eyes. I'm not using semantics here. I want you to see what the verse says. For at one time you were darkness. Does it say you were in darkness? You were darkness. You were darkness. James Boyce comments, and I quote, the most important thing about this statement is that Paul does not say merely that before their conversion, Christians were in darkness. And that now, since their conversion, they're in the light. Though it is true, he says something so much more, something so much more profound, before they were darkness, now they are light. He is pointing to a change in them. You are, have been changed. You are light. Not merely a change in the surroundings. Before they were not only in darkness, darkness was in them. And now they not only are in light, they are light and therefore must shine out as lights in their benighted society. That means clueless society. That makes all the difference. He continues, if it is only a question of seeking the light or living in the light, then Christianity is no different from any other religion or philosophy. It's no different. And there is no hope from it than any, from any more of them. But if becoming a Christian involves a change from darkness to light, then the presence of Christians in the world is itself hope as together we stand against darkness. That's why we're here. That's why you weren't taken to heaven when you first believed. That's why you're still alive. That's why you're still speaking. You are to be light. And what does light produce? The light produces goodness. You see that in Galatians 5. To do good. It's, good means to be lo- it's love and action. Right, it means it's, it's the same thing as righteousness. It means being righteous of character, having righteousness of character before God and before men. And both of these qualities, being good and right, are based on truth. 
based on the Word of God, what is pleasing to the Lord? Walking continually as a child of light, which produces the fruit of light. Colossians 1 says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. To walk as children of light means living before God and not hiding anything. Not hiding anything. Now, it's pretty easy to hide things from people. I know we don't always say what we think, do we? I'm so glad that people can't see what I'm thinking. But God sees it all. It is written, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When I travel on an airplane, and it's something that I like to do, I like to like to travel on in small aircraft, that's a, that's a blast, but often I get to travel to go to different places, and you go through a TSA line, and they take your bag, and you, either, you check your bag in, and they run it through an x-ray machine, and as it goes through, you have to take, on, and take off your shoes, and you take off your belt, and everything electronic that you have and for some of us, that takes a lot to go through. But then you lay it in there, and you, and you send it through, and then you get to go, and now hold your hands up, but, and they take the scan, and then you forget your keys in your pocket, and then you have to go through it again. I digress. But I'm glad that the TSA does that. You know why? Because they're looking for threats. And you know, when I go through that line, I'm not fearful at all because I have nothing to hide, nothing at all. Check away, I'm good. But our life should be that way too. Many times when you put yourself out there as a, as a person who knows Christ, People are watching. You know that little kid that just walked out that you just sent away to the children's church? That person is watching. You know that neighbor that cussed me out is watching how I responded. It's called living in a glass house. Or as I like to say, living in a fishbowl. Are we willing to live in that glass house? Am I? Let me get real personal. Do we have some dark things hidden that need to be brought into the light, exposed, and discarded? If we do, we must. It's our duty because we're not in darkness anymore. We're light. 
The world also needs to see that light. Listen to how R. Kent Hughes explains the need for the light to shine in darkness. He says, The effects of darkness and light are antithetical. That means opposing. From the perspective of the sciences, disease flourishes in the dark. And total darkness brings death to earth's fauna and flora. Similarly, spiritual darkness brings sterility unfruitful works, as Paul calls them in verse 11. The siren songs of darkness promise great things. They promise great things, but only bring desolation. The apples of Sodom, as some have called it, darkness shelters evil and helps it fester, and so that it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Night has no shame. The leaven of sin silently swells in the darkness until the whole life is infected. Light, on the other hand, promotes life. Patio plants flourish in the basement during winter if we provide them with enough light, even artificial light. Broken bodies heal faster if we can soak up some sunlight. Light awakens, too. We have probably all heard the sun rises as it awakens nature. Light is also persistent, constantly assaulting the earth and penetrating the smallest opening. The darkest place is not safe from it, as verses 13 and the first part of 14 make so clear. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. How then does a Christian expose the darkness? Especially when many from the evangelical camp have adopted what one theologian has coined an obsession of winsomeness. Now you're going, what in the world are you talking about? An obsession of winsomeness, which basically means we want to be attractive by appealing to our good side and our appearance and a character. We want to be liked, even if it means not speaking the truth. And we want to be liked by society. Now, make no mistake, we are called to be kind. We are called to be generous. We are called to be courteous. We are called to forgive and turn the other cheek, to be known by our love for each other. We are supposed to be known for those things. But what has this passage taught us? What have we just read? Expose unfruitful works of darkness. This is getting nervous time. Newsflash, we live in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christ and His teachings. This is not your daddy's world. If one, an individual or a church, takes a biblical view on gender, they will pay a price in the public square. 
If one takes a biblical view on wokeness, they will pay a price in the public square. If one takes a biblical view regarding homosexuality, they will pay a price in the public square. If one even takes a stance against governmental overreach regarding church life, that means church polity, allowing us to gather together, they will pay a price, not only from the government, hear me, brothers and sisters, but for Christians who want to be winsome. Christians who say we are, dis, we are not loving the neighborhood because we are meeting together during COVID. That's being winsome to a fault. How does a person or a church who wishes to be faithful to what the Bible says live this out? And I say this with no glee, but times are tough and times are going to be tougher. And as I spoke about when you let your little kids walk outside this door, mommy, daddy, grandpa, grandma, Christian brother and sisters, we have to make a way, we have to make sure that we understand how to live before a negative world, a negative society. People do not want to hear what God has to say. They're good about saying well, yeah, that's the way you feel about it, and that's okay. And yeah, we'll just agree to disagree. No, that's sin. And you won't be a part of the kingdom of God if you persist in it. Christians will pay a price for living a godly, obedient life. Well, how do we, how do we understand? How do we live like light? Well, let's use Jesus as an example. To some, he was kind, he was gentle, and affirming. He was forgiving. Goodness, what would you have felt like as being a woman caught in adultery and thrown in before him, and you're going, oh, what's going to happen now? Am I going to be killed? Am I going to be stoned? He said, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. Now, what did he say when she left? Yeah, go ahead, good, go ahead and have a fun time. Go and sin no more. To others, he was a mocking, disrupting troublemaker. Why? Because he rattled the cage. Because he was light and darkness. Because he put himself up. He put God's word on display and God's ways on display where people were made uncomfortable. Now, make no mistake. Jesus was sinless, he was perfect, he was God, and he was hated and crucified for it. He said, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, what about his apostles? That's Jesus. That, that's the God-man. We... we, we no, I can't, I can't be like him. We're called to be. 
What about the apostles? Well, the book of Acts details the important happenings of the early church beginning in Jerusalem, stretching all the way to the ends of the earth, all the way to Rome. Now, what did they encounter because of their obedience to the Lord? Hostility from governmental authorities, religious leaders, and pagan worshipers whose deeds were exposed by the light. Yes, we must be kind as we venture into the public square. But we must be firm as we declare with our actions, our lifestyles, and our words the truths that people who are in darkness do not want to hear. Walk as children of light. Well, how that works for one will not be the same for another, but step up and let your light shine where you live. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp that put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The passage ends with an encouraging word to those who are children of light and a call to those who are still in darkness. For those of you who have Christ, who are in Christ and maybe have been coasting, has the Spirit of God laid it on your heart Maybe changes need to be made. That you need to be living in the way that you should be because of who you are. You're a child of God. Imitate your Father. Therefore, it says. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Come back to Him. Live for Him. For those of you who have made a profession of faith at one time or another, it might have been in a children's program, it might have been at a camp, you might have even walked an aisle and come down and there's been no change. You said the right words. But in your heart, eh. Change will happen if you're truly born again. Perfection, no. But change will happen. Call on the Lord. 
Call on the Lord and be saved. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. For those of you who this might be new, where you've never made a profession, where you've never even heard about the gospel, you've never even heard that your sins can be forgiven and that you can have new life and that life being eternal, where you do not have to be afraid anytime in this life or the life to come because you are will now be light. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you you. Father, as we hear these words, may they sink deeply. You have not given us a spirit of timidity, but of boldness. Lord God, as we go off out of this safe place and into a world that is hostile, may we shine as light. May we reflect, may we point others to you pray these things in Christ's name.